It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. If you download the app and punch in those coordinates, you can hear us anywhere you go. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Dreama Denver. Now, Dreama Denver is the author of Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island, and wife of the late Bob Denver, star of Gilligan's Island. And it's a pleasure to have her on here to talk about her second edition book of Gilligan's Dreams. So, Dreama, welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here. It's my first time in Toronto. Oh, nice. So that's really exciting. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you virtually here with us. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'll get there for real one day, I swear. <laughs> uh, no worries. No worries. Well, I got, again, I want to say thank you so much for doing this. And, and also thank you for the book. You know, um, oh. it, it's a, a real wonderful read. And, um, you know, with everything that you've put in there and how you've opened up your your lives to this uh, to the world in this book i know you know bob uh long before he got sick and passed away um he thought i was a good writer so he told me he said if i go first and you want to write a book do it but if you do it be straightforward tell it like it was uh don't pull any punches so Oh, I had that in mind the whole time I was writing it, and I tried to do exactly that. And people tell me that there are parts of it that are pretty raw. Mm, sure. Did you it, find it that way? Yes. Well, well, I did, but that's that's what made it all the more real. Just real, right? It was raw, Thank but you. real. Thank you. You know, one of my thought processes during the writing process was that I wanted the reader, whoever that reader was, who was a fan of Bob's and a fan of Gilligan's Island, I wanted them to feel like they were sitting across the coffee, uh, the, mm. uh, the table from me, and right. we were having a cup of coffee, and I was telling them my story. I wanted it to be a friendly, I guess is the word. I wanted them to feel like they were there with me through the whole process. Well, I I think you succeeded. Thank <laughs> um, you. <laughs> although Thank you. although I think it was more than one cup of coffee. <laughs> oh yeah, it was probably a couple of morning, maybe even a week of oh, yeah. mornings in a row to get through all of that. <laughs> it was now, I, and and I know you jumped to the end of the book when you were saying about how Bob wanted you to to tell it like it was, sort of. But I did want to ask you if it was all you, or did you? How much help did you get in sort of focusing it and and getting that shape the way it was? It was all me. Nice. I wrote the entire, every word, every paragraph, every period is mine. Now, the help that I referred to at the end of the book yeah. was uh, New York Times bestselling author Homer Hickam, yep. who wrote uh, Rocket Boys, which yep. was then made into the movie October Sky with Jake Gyllenhaal and Laura Dern. And Homer is a great friend of mine. And he is the one who originally started encouraging me to write the book. In the first place, we had talked about the fact that Bob had, you know, sort of given his permission and thought I would do a good job of it. And so Homer really encouraged me. I I thought of him as a cheerleader. He was my mm. first reader. Mm -hmm. So I would write a couple of chapters and then I would send them to him and he would write back going, great job. Or you might want to think about this over here and whatever um, the critique was. And um, 
most of the time it was you're hitting it out of the park, keep going, mm. which was which was so inspiring and uh, gratifying. It made it so yeah. much easier yeah. because there were parts of that book. I'm telling you, there were parts that um, literally brought me to my knees okay. when I would get to the end of that chapter. I would have to stop and cry it out and take some days off and not even look at it, you know? So Homer was um, amazing. He's a wonderful writer. His books are, oh, he has a new one coming out in October too. His books are just, just stellar. I mean, I Mm. love the way he writes. So to have him encourage me and champion me and, and think at the end of it all, that it was a job well done meant everything to me. Let me tell you. I appreciate you saying that. And I certainly understand what you said at times. You had to put this down and leave it alone and walk away. I also want to mention that I really like the touch at the beginning of every chapter with the reference to a song. Thank you. I wanted to do that so badly because, um, partly because I know in the epilogue you read about Little Buddy Radio, Mm -hmm. a radio station that Bob and I started Oh my gosh, in 2004, 17 years, wow, 17 years ago. And it just seemed, in light of that, appropriate to me to find, and believe me, that took a lot of research, to find lyrics of songs Mm. that meant something to me or to us that would be a very short indication of what was coming in that chapter. That uh, That was just something... I don't know if it's been done before. Maybe it's been done to death. I don't know. (laughs) But I wanted to do it so badly. It just meant a lot to me to be able to do that. So thank you for liking that. Yes, for sure. For sure. Um, And uh, thanks for mentioning uh, Little Buddy Radio. And, you know, there's a number of things that we we, uh, I'd like to mention at the end that what you have taken on and you're following through with that uh, that Bob started uh, and but let's get let's talk a little bit more now about the book and about the story you talk about his earlier career and the stuff that he was involved in like uh, 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 Gillis you know uh, about Debbie Gillis yes yeah. Debbie Gillis wasn't familiar with that and I looked it up and um, and I thought when I read about his role uh, as Maynard and this beatnik guy and he, he always says like and he's you know he, he doesn't like authority or you know and I'll, I thought wow this sounds like this show could be a remake it could really you know what I mean it just sounded like it's timely like it could be a good show to redo it really could you know it was, it was written by the uh, great prolific uh, highly respected author Max Shulman mm. Um, it was kind of adapted from his books, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, but the books didn't have the character of Maynard in there. That was created for the TV show. So um, for people who do remember The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, Bob was the breakout character, kind of like Fonzie was in the 70s. Right. And, uh, you know, that sort of got him off and running um, of course, uh, began a lifelong friendship with Dwayne Hickman, who played Dobie in the show. Tuesday Weld was in the show. Warren Beatty was in the show. Oh, wow. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> and Bob always told me, he said, the minute Warren walked onto the set, we all knew he wasn't going to be there for long. <laughs> he was destined <laughs> for bigger things than Dobie Gillis. So right. um, it was really, it was fun. And I just recently found Dobie Gillis on, uh, I want to say Amazon Prime, I think. Mm. And I binged it back during lockdown. And it was so 
interesting to see all the to see the scenes that Bob had talked to me about over the years, what had been going on behind those scenes when they were filming. It was so much fun to watch it and remember mm. all of that. So yeah. it's a great show and it really is. Um, it was ahead of its time mm. and you're right. It would be a great redo. It yeah. would. Now, when you, you first met Bob, uh, you got to work with him in Play It Again, Sam. And uh, I remember reading the part where you were on your way uh, to meet him and, and you'd be starring with him in this. And you, were, you knew him as, from the character of Gilligan and you were, you were going over that in your head. Oh, you have to do these love scenes with him and, you know, and, and those kind of things. And, uh, yeah. and, and it was, <laughs> you know, it was interesting. And, and that character of Gilligan, you know, when I think of Bob and the character of Gilligan... And that, you know, sort of typecasting or stereotype uh, image that he is, is associated with. Right? Even to this day, I have a 16-year-old daughter who even knows Gilligan's Island, you know. And, and uh, I was really stunned that, that she, was, she knew about Gilligan. And so, right, right. And, and so that, you know, it's lived on. And, um, and, and, and I think of the only other person I can think of, you mentioned Fonz, but I, I was thinking the only other person I can think of that, that was associated with a character like that was Leonard Nimoy and Spock, you know, that has right. lived on so much. Uh, yes. What, what did Bob think of the character of Gilligan and being associated with the character? You know, he by the time I met him, the show had been off the air. Yes. Uh, the original show for, oh gosh, I don't know, eight years or something, mm-hmm. maybe nine. And he, <clears throat> I think at the very beginning from what he told me, when the show ended and he was a 33 year old actor who obviously wanted to keep acting. Yes. It was a little bit frustrating to have been typecast Hmm. um, as that character, because Bob was absolutely nothing like Gilligan. Hmm. Uh, And he was such a good actor. And I think a better actor than he probably was given credit for because people thought that was him. Mm -hmm. I mean, even me, when I was told I was going to be working with him, I'm like, seriously, I'm going to have to kiss Gilligan. Are you kidding? And they were all, if you want the part, yeah. And I'm like, well, no, I want the part. So, you know, I think people saw him that way. But as the years went by, and certainly by the time I met him, um, he always got a lot of fan mail back even when it was snail mail, Mm -hmm. you know. And believe it or not, he got so much mail from adults who had been children, obviously, when the show had come on the air. And they had been in really difficult situations, maybe um, alcoholic parents or uh, abusive uh, relationships with their parents. Or, and so many people wrote him to say that was the half hour or when it went into reruns, maybe an hour, hour and a half after school where I found a safe space, a place mm-hmm. that. I could go and dream of being where you were. (laughs) And as he got more and more letters like that, and he got a lot of them, it was amazing. He started understanding that this wasn't just a little half hour comedy. Mm. This show really meant something. And, you know, he was the character that represented all children. Like he was the one that messed up. He was the one that all the castaways got mad at. But in the end, they loved him and they always forgave him. And that was a big thing with him. He wanted children to know that even if they got in trouble, you know, they were still loved Mm. and would be forgiven in the end. So um, kids identified with that, you know, and it was as he, you know, as time went by, he was like so grateful, first of all, to have had 
back in the days when it was unheard of, he had two extremely famous characters. I mean, that's kind of commonplace now, but it wasn't then when there were three networks, you know. So he came to really embrace Gilligan and really loved the fact that he'd been part of a show that meant that much to so many people. And then when, when playing on Broadway with the Play It Again Sam, he got to replace Woody Allen in that, that role and uh, was, was praised for what he brought to that part. Right. And he was handpicked by Woody Allen. Wow. I mean, it wasn't uh, just, you know, Bob yeah. sort of roundabout got cast in the, sh- yeah. in the Broadway show. He, yeah. Most people don't know he did Broadway, but yeah. Woody Allen handpicked Bob yeah. to take over that part. And, and you, you mentioned kids, and that's something he mentioned to you at some point about the child in yourself, which I thought was really yeah. interesting. And I'm, I'm guessing that that's something Bob himself tapped into was that child in himself. And that's why he was able to bring that life to his characters. I think so, too. You know, we were, I don't know, I, I want to say like 15 years into our 30 year marriage when uh, one day he asked me just sort of out of nowhere. He said, do you ever um, love little Dreama?" Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, do you ever sit down and get quiet with yourself and think about her, what she loved and what made her cry, what made her happy, what her relationship was like with her mom and dad. Do you ever just sit there and remember her? Because she is a huge part of the woman that you are today. And it literally brought tears to my, you had to hear him say it. It was so much better, but it literally brought tears to my eyes. And I said, well, do you do that? And he said, Oh yeah. He said, every once in a while, I sit down with little Bobby and I tell him how much I love him. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And I have tried with regularity um, in all the years since to to thank little Dreama for being, I mean, she was a sweet little girl. We forget our young selves, you Mm -hmm. know, in the madness of life, we we forget. And I just tell her she was a sweet child and a well-behaved little girl and and a loving little girl, and and she's part of me, and I just have to remember that. So I always thought that was a wonderful thing to share with people, that we could all take a minute to do that. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Now, now going on to when you first met uh, Bob, uh, you mm-hmm. got introduced to him, and as you say, uh, from the moment you guys touched hands, boom, there was there was sparks, and, and it went on to be seen by the other cast members as well as in the performance when you got reviews. Uh, you mentioned that, wow, it, it was really uh, being seen by everybody around you. It was. It, was um, it really was electric, and I don't know. You know, he couldn't believe he walked through the door of the rehearsal hall the first time mm. I met him. Going, they had a marquee that had my name up as Dreamer. Yes. And not Dreamer, but Dreamer. So he walked through the door going, what the heck? Well, he probably didn't say heck, but what the heck is a Dreamer? And I raised my hand. I said, that would be me. And he went, your name is Dreamer? And I said, no, my name's actually Dreamer. They're going to have to change it. And and even Dreamer floored him. He'd never heard that before. So he came over and he said, well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Dreamer. And he took my hand. And it was just, it, it, it was, whatever it was, I don't even know what to call it. Love at first sight, <laughs> lust yeah. at first sight, yeah. whatever it was, yeah. it lasted for 30 years. I yeah. mean, it was the real deal and it right. was overwhelming to both him and me. And then 
to the other cast members who uh, were there to witness it. Now, it was really, uh, of course, humorous during that whole sort of of, uh, time when you were there because uh, Bob's Bob's family was there, his mom was there as you turned to Marion, whom whom you call Gran, right, eventually. Right, right. uh, And and then she started sort of going through this process of trying to get you guys hooked up together, which was really, really fun. It was, I had, when you're, when the mom is on your side, you're in good shape, I think, you know, I was just so crazy about him. She could tell, she could tell he was crazy about me. Mm. And like I said in the book, he had someone with him at that time. Yes. And, uh, and so there was somebody else in the picture and and his mother wasn't real crazy about somebody else. So she was. She was all in it for me. Right. She was giving me her phone number. Yep. Now, when I go back to L.A., <laughs> if you have any questions about Bob, you call me. I'll answer them all. It was like yep. She was just she was just pushing me forward and happily. You yeah. know, that was a lovely thing to have his mother think so much yes. of me that that she would. We had to wait for the other person to go yes. away. Right. But once that person went away and that was fairly quickly, um, Back to Chicago, I think it was. Um, Bob and I were able to, yeah, to then express our yes. interest in a more open way. You know? uh, I, so, I, just, I just thought it was really uh, interesting that the mother was there helping you and encouraging you and giving you ideas about how to maybe do this, you know, and those kind of things. Anyway, uh, people can get all of that in the book, and there's so much more for us to talk about. Uh, you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, and my guest is Dreama Denver. She is the wife of uh, the late Bob uh, Denver, who was a star of Gilligan's Island, and she has a book. It is entitled Gilligan's Dream the other side of the island and uh, that's what we're talking to uh, Dreama about today now Dreama of course you describe the wonderful uh, first encounter and the relationship that blossoms with you and Bob now you know Bob had been married three times before uh, yes, he had. Yeah, so that was uh, what was that what was that going through your mind when that happened when you know knowing that I, I was young now not so young right. that you know I can't blame sure. it on being 18 or something yes but I don't know that I thought about it that much I mean yeah. obviously I was aware yes that he had been married before but whatever was going on between us which is so overwhelming mm. I just didn't I guess do the mature thing and think okay Dreama, what are you getting yourself into here <laughs> right. you know this is it hasn't yeah. worked three times before but yeah. Bob kept telling me that I was his four was his lucky number mm. so he would always tell me I was his lucky number four yeah. and I just went with that I guess yes. I was like okay we'll go with that that works for me so happily you yes. know it it was right, and it worked out. And you guys had some wonderful, wonderful. Oh, you described such wonderful times together. You know, the, in Hawaii on that island. Oh my goodness, it sounds yeah. beautiful. And then um, uh, uh, the when you're traveling and you're going to the heights, the high, high in in the uh, Colorado mountains. I believe the Rocky Mountains, right? Oh my goodness, it sounds so wonderful. And you know, uh, as I was reading that, I was going, "Gee, I wonder if it's still the same now." You know, I wonder if that's still sort of stood still, and it's still a great place to visit. That you know, it was at that time. You know, Um, yeah, I can't. You know, Kauai is heaven on earth, in my opinion. Yes, Um, and in his opinion, I have a feeling. I have not been there in a very long time, but I have Mm. a feeling. That the North Shore, which was so sort of uh, 
vacant at that time. I have a feeling they tell me I've seen it, but they tell me rather than a house here and there on the beach on the North Shore, they're now like two and three deep uh, on the yeah. North Shore. So sure. it would be every time I long to go back there, I try to remind myself that it wouldn't be mm. the same place it was when Bob and I were there together. So, right. you know, sadly, yes. but oh, well. Well, anyway, you, you had these wonderful times. Then the relationships really starts to get serious, of course. You do eventually get married, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and you're, you're both working, you're both traveling, you're yeah. both uh, you know, carrying on. Now, Bob also has uh, children from previous marriages and, and stepchildren. Uh, right. but, but then you want to, uh, of course, have a child of your own. Yes. And you talk about yes. that and <laughs> and I don't think I don't think I've ever yes. heard I don't think I've ever heard it quite described the way you do in terms of the rehearsals. <laughs> Oh, yeah. okay. So that was creative. Was that not creative? It was wonder. It was great because it, you know, brought it right into the whole line of work that you guys do. You know, <laughs> and, I thought it was a nice way to, you know, mm. say that we were trying really hard. Yes, it's so funny though because we, um, when we decided that we wanted to have a baby, yes, um, and that was after Bob had done a, a TV movie called The Invisible Woman. Mm. And we decided we were going to try to have a baby and um, got pregnant because I was 33 at the time. Right. And he was 48 mm-hmm. or nine. Right. And, you know, we thought it might be a process where yeah. it would take a while. Sure. And it I think it happened like yeah. right away. Yeah. I mean, right away. We right. found out we were pregnant. So yeah. that was, you know, that was exciting because Bob was such a great dad and his kids were so great, and I just wanted to add the littlest Denver to that bunch, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and um, and that's what we did. Now, before we, I want to step back a little bit because there, in all the joy that you guys were had together, and this this wonderful, uh, you know, finding of souls that you you had, you also had to confront Bob with a, a very serious matter that that you found out about, and that was the the drinking issue. And yeah. you did confront him, and you were able to straighten him out and uh, and and get him to face that. And I'm guessing it was because of the love he had for you. I really believe it was. And, um, yeah, because he didn't want to, you know, I debated whether or not to write about it because I didn't want people to think less of him. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was also something that people deal with. Sure. And I thought, and he told me to be honest. He told me to tell it like it was. So that's how it was like right. the first year and a half we mm-hmm. struggled through his penchant yep. to want to drink. And I never thought of him as an alcoholic. Right. It was kind of, I always thought of this sort of a Hollywood mm. kind of a thing, you yeah. know, people go to parties, but Bob was a person who just couldn't have one drink. Yes. He couldn't have a glass of wine with dinner and let that be it. Right. It had to be three or four. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of people whose personalities change. Yep. Um, when they drink and he was one of those, this, you know, he just became somebody that I didn't recognize. And, and we fought it out. I have to, I mean, we fought it out. There was a lot of me leaving and him coming to get me and make me come back. And, you know, all those, I guess, kind of young uh, things, but basically I kind of put my foot down and somewhere along the line, I became, or our relationship became more important than, than having, you know, too many drinks right. at dinner at night. And um, so that was, it was tough though. But yeah. I know a lot of people 
a lot of people who've interviewed me about the book yes. have that. The interviewer has that in his or her family, sure. you know, and oh, yeah. and struggle with it. So of course, yeah, uh, I'm glad I wrote about it. Well, you know, you you talk about that struggle, but then of course, um, you have your child, and yeah. and then uh, you you find out that that young Colin is is struggling himself. He has some issues, and you try to find out those and deal with those issues uh, in, right. in this book as well. Um, and it is in that process. Um, and again, you talk uh, in depth about, and this is what we're talking about. I can readily see where you had to put the book down at times and walk away from it because uh, it, it must have been. And, and you know what? You talked about some of the things that other people have had in their lives. Well, as I was reading the section on your, your son and the struggles you were having with, with that, I could identify with that because there was an uncle that I had when I was very young who uh, who was much older. He was full grown, but my grandmother looked after him and he was severely mentally handicapped and, and right. he would have seizures uh, and fall. And uh, it was, it, you know, I, I, we were very, very young at the time. I, I just vaguely remember this. And we were always told to stand back because we, none of us, even my grandmother, wasn't big enough to prevent him from falling if he had a seizure. So right. I, I can definitely understand and, and know what that was like when I saw what my, and think about what my grandmother went through caring for him. Uh, so I, I understand. I understand that. God bless your grandmother. It is a tough, tough, tough situation. Caregiving, I think, is, uh, oh, gosh, one of the most selfless things a person can do uh, because it really, you have to give up everything about yourself um, in order to be there for a person who needs it. As you know, having read the book, our son had seizures. He started having them when he was about 12 years old, and they're horrifying. They're Mm -hmm. just but to watch somebody you love go through it is, it's just horrifying that it was, um, you know, he was two years old when he was diagnosed with, um, and any parent like me hates this term, but it was severe retardation Yes, at the beginning um, at UCLA. And then as the, that was 1986. So as years went by and we got into the, um, uh, probably the nineties, the term started moving to autism. And I think a lot of that was because of the movie Rain Man. Oh yeah. Then being called autistic wasn't such a stigma. Yep. You know, because of Dustin Hoffman and his portrayal. So um everybody started referring, you know, the doctors and and the institutes where we took him in Philadelphia started referring to it as autism, which was kind of a relief actually, because mm. When you said to somebody, well, no, my son's autistic, they remembered the movie and went, oh, okay. Right. You know, it was kind of kind of an okay thing uh, when that happened. So um, our son is 37 years old now. He is still nonverbal. Mm-hmm. I've never had a conversation with him. Wow. I've never heard, I love you, mom. When his father died, um, I did my best to, you know, it's it's weird because I don't know what sticks with him and what he understands. He can't tell me. So, uh, but I felt like I got through to him and he at least understood his father wouldn't be back. And, um, you know, it's been a, it was as difficult as it was. And, and that kind of situation is, is 
draining physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. I mean, it's draining in every way it can be draining, but there are such rewards. Time for a short break here on Moment of Truth. Don't go away. We'll be right back and pick up our conversation with Dreama Denver and her book, Gilligan's Dream, The Other Side of the Island. Stay tuned. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back. Let's pick up our conversation with Dreama Denver talking about her book, Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island. Um, Even the days when, you know, you just want to get in a fetal position and cry all day long because you're so strung out. Mm. Um, Even those days, you know, when that passes and you get back and look at the person you love Mm. who's going through it, it's, it's, it's a rewarding thing to know that, that you are giving that person a sense of self and, and allowing them to his life is nothing like mine. And Bob was always wonderful. One thing I loved about going through it with Bob was, you know, like I would do the emotional thing. I would be like, Oh, we're never going to have grandchildren. We're never going to do the first day of school. We're never going to get to see Mm -hmm. him go on his first date or go to the prom. And I would get wound up um, emotionally as a mom would do over that. And Bob was always so pragmatic. He would say to me, honey, you have to understand, we know all of those things, yes. but Colin doesn't. Right. He doesn't know that there's a first day of school yes. or a marriage and grandchildren. He doesn't know about those things. Yes. His, his little world is very different. So even after Bob left me and, um, and I would find myself, you know, kind of going down that pathway, I would stop and remember what he said. Mm. You know, it mm. is Colin is fine. He has a great sense of self. He's been surrounded his entire life by people who love him and by people who show respect and care about him. And And for Bob and me, that was the thing we wanted most was for him never to be. And, and everybody's situation is different. I have no criticism of anybody who does it differently. We all have to do it um, the way that works for us and our situation, our family. But for Bob and me, we just wanted him to feel um, to feel like he was a person, a person of worth and a person um, worth respect. Mm. And I think he's always had that for 37 years. So that that makes me, you know, that makes me happy. Well, you know, the other thing that is in the book that you write about uh, when he's older and you're starting to get your your own sense of, of life back. Um, right. You know, you talk about the little the little house he moves into with his caregivers, and then his right. caregivers move in, and there's there's the wife, and there's the child. And I thought, oh my goodness, he does have a family. He does have that that sort of a mar- you know that marriage, that family that you thought he wouldn't be able to have. And that's what I thought when I when I read that. He really does. Well, his house is right across. We're on top of a mountain. Right. His house is across from mine. His caregiver, um, David Haynes, whom I is like a son to me, mm. has been with Colin now for about 18 years wow. and has been so loyal to me, so loyal to Colin. His wife has known Colin for 18 years. She came on board as one of his three caregivers. He's got they have two daughters who love Colin and and hang out with them, watch movies with him. <laughs> um, he has been very blessed. Right. And therefore, I am very blessed because I'm right here. 
I don't have to do the one-on-one day to day because yep. as you read in the book, um, the doctors told me I would not be able to do that yep. um, by myself. And I, nobody had to tell me that I knew yeah. that already, yep. but if he needs me or if I just feel like it, I, I cook for him every day. I go over three, four times a week and take him mom's meals. And, and he is a very blessed young man. And so am I so blessed. Yep. And I can't say enough about David and Sarah Haynes. They are, they are angels on this earth. They truly are. Now, if if it weren't enough to to have you and Bob go through, you know, the, the, the personal struggles you were going through together, which you came out of, then the, the these things that happened and and the ongoing issues with Colin that you dealt with for, and you know, just uh, going through that process of trying to find the answers for him in right. the early days right. and all of that that you describe. And and then of course um, uh, there's there, we haven't even touched on this and we're not we're not going to be able to get to it. Be, you know people are going to have to pick up the book to read this okay. to get all the details. Okay. But but you know there are the issues because of the stress that both of you were under. But Bob uh, does of course develop a, a cancer and he he goes in for operations and we got to go see all that. And then of course because of the stress that you're under, you have your own. Uh, heart attack. And I have to tell you this one thing. When I read, I was reading that part as you were just about to have, you felt what was going on, my Mm -hmm. heart started pounding like crazy. So the way you wrote that, I was starting to feel exactly what you were going through. Oh, wow. Nobody has told me that before. That's well, so, is that awesome? I want to say that's awesome. I don't. I don't. I, I think it was. It. I was so drawn into it, you know. Yes. Um, yes. That that I felt that. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know, but I. That's how it affected me. So, um, right. I, I'm just saying that you know, people. There, there's a, so much that you put into this book. Um, there's so much that people can get out of it. It can bring a lot of joy to them. It can also bring them, uh, you know. To the reality of life, you know, and, right. and the things that you... There are happy parts in the book. Of course I mean, there, there is. Absolutely you know, it's there not is. all, but yep. at the same time, I felt like in our journey together, our life together, I have so many touchstones that mm. I know people can identify with. Right. I mean, I did have a heart attack from the stress of being away from my son and yep. watching my husband struggle to live. And, and after my husband died on the 10-year anniversary of his death, I was sitting at and I haven't even talked about this before, but at Vanderbilt Breast Center, uh, going beginning treatments for breast cancer. And I had to do that without right. Bob. You know, and, right. I mean, there are a lot of things that people go through. We all go through challenges and struggles. And I've gone through my share, I yep. feel like. And I thought if, if something I write could inspire or give hope to um, somebody out there going through something similar, that really is what I wanted the book to do, because after Bob died, I went on Amazon back when it was basically a bookstore. Right. And I was trying to find any book I could find that would tell me how to survive losing mm. your soulmate, the love of your life. Right. And that's what I hoped this book would do, because I have survived. Right. And I have created, I miss him every day. 16 years later, I can still cry over yeah. him every day. Sure. But I have created um, a life for myself that I think he'd be proud of. Yes. And I've done things in his memory that have helped me heal. Right. And um, I want people to know it's possible because when it first happens, you don't think it's possible. At least I didn't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
thank you for sharing that. And, and uh, I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. And you do touch on that a little bit in the book about uh, coming out the other side, finding the, the young dreamer again and, and touching and finding places, things that you'd forgotten about and exploring and, and re getting to know uh, the dreamer again. And so, right. I, I, you know, thank you for, for all of that. And, you know, there's other things that, as you say, continue. There's the, uh, the little buddy radio, your, your child book right? Um, that we haven't but talked about. This. An award-winning children's yes. book for anybody out there. I'm telling you, uh, this book has been the biggest blessing to me. It's called Four Bears in a Box. Yeah. And it was inspired by Bob. And the whole story of that yep. is inside yep. at the end of the children's book. Yep. He would be so, I know he is just smiling down going, I cannot believe you did it <laughs> because we, I wrote it. Uh, now he was going to illustrate it which right. of course he didn't get a chance to do but but i wrote the book before he died yes and it got put away and then i rediscovered it mm. uh, a couple of springs ago and and a publisher loved it and so headline books loved it so it is an award-winning children's book it's won like nine or ten awards so congratulations uh i am very it went the last award it won in december of 2020 was best children's book at the paris book festival and I'm talking Paris, France, right. <laughs> not Paris, Texas, you know, so it, it's pretty exciting. And being a children's author is is just lovely. It mm. is just a lovely thing to put something good out into the world for our right. little guys. So right. I encourage people to give it a try. It's written in rhyme <laughs> and it's just a wonderful, wonderful bedtime read aloud story. Right. Nicely done. Congratulations to, to you Thank on that. You. And the, the other thing I just want to mention for people is, of course, the foundation, the Denver Foundation that you started or Bob started to try and help other kids uh, in need um, mm-hmm. as well. And, and of course, that comes out of your own experience uh, and your own family's uh, experience as well. So it's, We started the Denver Foundation in honor of Colin. Yes. And um, the plan was to... Um, help families going through any kind of special needs situation. Bob's dream, now this didn't happen, but his dream was to have like respite homes where Mm. the parents could bring the child to spend the night or maybe a weekend. And there would be, you know, qualified people there to take care of them while the parents got a break. Right. They could just go home and take a bath and read a book or, you know, um, that, I've never been able to make that part happen, but I have been able to um, provide iPads for communication mm. for autistic um, mm. people, whether child or grown up. Uh, we've been able to supply um, like bathtub uh, chairs for handicapped people that can't get in and out. We've right. done specialized wheelchairs and uh, specialized car seats. So we've been able to do that kind of thing over the years to help families. And um, that has been a great blessing. And then, of course, I'm assuming you'll probably mention uh, Bob was not alive to see this, but um, on the uh, the year Bob died or the year after, a program called Honor Flight, a yes. national program yep. was founded. And I, years later in 2011, founded the first um, honor flight program in West Virginia. We call it Always Free Honor Flight, where we honor our World War II, Korea, and Vietnam veterans with free trips to Washington to see the memorials built to honor their service. Yes. And let me tell you what, does Canada have honor flights? Do they do that? I'm not sure. Anything like that? 
Well, we, uh, of course, it would be Canadian. It wouldn't be going to Washington, D.C., but yep. this has been just an incredible experience for me to really understand the sacrifice that service to your country. I'm sure whatever country it is, mm. the sacrifice that the that the person makes, the family makes uh, to hear their stories, the World War II stories, just um, unbelievable. And of course, since COVID, we have not been able to make a trip. We're yeah. hoping we're going to be able to in 2022. But up until then, we had made 10 trips right. with our veterans. So right. we are, um, I think Bob would be pretty proud. I think he would like that. Well, thank you for sharing all of that, Dream. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the show and, and share, uh, you know, some of the some of the stories that are in Gilligan's Dreams, the other side of the island, and this uh, second edition that you've come out with, and, and the other things that uh, you're doing that you continue to do. And, and a share, you know, so, so as you say, open and frankly, uh, the, 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 the story of your life with Bob. David, you have been so wonderful, and I can't tell you how gratifying it is to have someone interview you who's read the book and enjoyed the book and can talk about specific things in the book. I mean, all interviews are, I love them all, but it's really special when somebody takes the time to do that. So thank you for that. Well, well, you know, uh, it it wouldn't be any different than uh, listening to a song or anything else. Someone someone put their heart and soul into their work and it deserves that uh, appreciation and that time. Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island, authored by Dreama Denver, the wife of the late Bob Denver, star of Gilligan's Island. Prima, thank you so much, and do take care. Thank you so much, David. It was great to be with you. Likewise. Dreama Denver, it was a pleasure to have her on the show talking about Gilligan's Dreams, The Other Side of the Island, and I'm sure you can pick that up at bookstores online everywhere. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and we're going to be back after a short break with more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. The very best to make the others comfortable in the tropics. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. All right. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And that, of course, is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. Type in our coordinates and... Take us with you anywhere you go. Listen anywhere you want. My guest here on the show is my fellow afternoon DJ, Mr. Julian Taylor. It's a pleasure to have him on the show. It's always nice to be able to talk to Julian outside of the the, the working schedule that we have and uh, just share some thoughts. Now, one of the things we're doing here on the Moment of Truth show today is talking to staff here at Element FM, the indigenous people who work here at the station, to try and get a sense of things that that have of late been happening, specifically with the Cowessess First Nation and uh, Kamloops, BC, and trying to check in with people to see how they're feeling. And we are put on into a situation sometimes where we have to conform to what our station requires, what our job requires, and we can't necessarily say what's really on our minds. So, Julian uh, Sago, and welcome to the show. Sago, how are you? I'm, I'm okay, Julian. You know... Um, 
I don't know about you, but it's been difficult to listen to what's been going on and to hear and see some of the stuff that uh, is being talked about online. I agree. Um, it's been a tough couple of weeks, especially for the Indigenous community uh, and the Canadian population at large, really, uh, because I think that, you know, I was speaking to my mom, whose uh, family is Mohawk, which mm. makes me her family, uh, mm-hmm. about this. And, you know, it's what Buffy St. Marie said. It's not a real surprise to anybody who's Indigenous. We mm-hmm. knew that this was the case, that this was part of Canada's history. Mm-hmm. While the rest of the country uh, may not have been aware of it, it becomes to be uh, quite a shock. Now, when I say that, it uh, that it's not a shock to the Indigenous community, it's still a... Uh, it opens a lot of wounds. It opens wounds that are a century old uh, that have caused the indigenous community so much harm that it's destroyed families uh, and lives, as we as we know, the lives of children lost. Uh, certainly that trickles down to uh, the families where, you know, a mom or a, a father or a grandparent have lost their, their kin. Uh, and that's, that's the way you... Uh, you know, orchestrate genocide mm. is by dividing and conquering. That is the uh, one of the definitions of, of, of what genocide is all about. Now, you and I both know that in South Africa, the uh, apartheid system was pretty much based on the uh, indigenous uh, system here in mm-hmm. Canada that the Canadian government had orchestrated yep. with the residential schools and the Indian Act. And uh, not a lot of people may know that. But now, let's get to the point where um, the way people are saying we should cancel Canada Day, and I don't think that we should cancel Canada Day. You know, John Tory mentioned that Dundas Street should be renamed, mm-hmm. and that by renaming it, it is actually not canceling history, you know, and I agree with him there. I think that uh, there are people across this nation uh, that really feel strongly about uh, Canada Day, and I feel that what needs to happen this Canada Day is that a, a huge acknowledgement has to be made that the history of Canada that people have been taught through school and through the rest of their lives is false. It is wrong. Yeah. It is biased, and it is the history told from uh, white men's textbooks. Mm-hmm. And we have to abolish that. Or not abolish that. We need to... Uh, change it so it reflects the history of all the people here. Now, when I think about Canada and I think about the indigenous communities now, I look at my life and I say, you know, I am fortunate to have received an education. I am fortunate to uh, be employed. I'm in, I, I think what I would like to see happen is the country uh, accept and learn and really uh, attempt to reconciliate with the indigenous communities and not only the indigenous com- communities. I, I mean, you know, all marginalized com- communities here in this country are part of this country. It is not just uh, a country that was made of, uh, of European descendants. Okay. So um, there are people who have come to this country, immigrants who have come to this country who found great opportunity here uh, and who may not have, have any idea of this dark history that Canada uh, has. Those people, uh, I would say, you know, are 
our allies in many ways because they have felt the same uh, about their lives in their p- previous uh, location. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that what I, you know, what I would love to see happen, I would love to see uh, the church either be pr- persecuted or, or maybe taxed from like, you know, retroactive taxes to the church from inception, because there's billions of dollars <laughs> there. If that's the case. And, that money be used to uh, help rebuild the indigenous communities here, for sure. Uh, you know, languages is a big thing. Um, culture, to help reinstate and rebuild that for the indigenous community, because they, they owe us that for damn sure. And I think that, you know, that goes uh, for the slave trade, for all of these things. Mm. Um, the church has gotten away with murder, and uh, there is no pun intended in that. Mm-hmm. The, the Canadian public may have been somewhat ignorant of this, but there has been this talk going on for a long time about the residential schools and about what they did and the fact that children went missing. That, that's been reported in the news before. But to now have these, these mass graves, uh, you know, actually fact. This is now well, fact. Yeah, it goes down to that ideology where, uh, you know, in the court of law, you're innocent until proven guilty. Well, now mm-hmm. there is evidence, mm-hmm. hard, cold evidence right. for the Canadian population who didn't really believe to digest, no, whether how hard it may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's changed. And do you, do you get a sense that this may actually be the change that was unfortunately necessary to wake up Canada to this? You know what, David? I have this feeling that, uh, you know, okay, let's look at it this way. The answer is yes, but I think it goes even further than that. I think that in order for the human race to actually survive, that we need to go back to our ancient teachings. I believe that these spirit voices that were buried are now a wake-up call and a reminder to tell everybody to please listen. It is not the only reminder. When you look at what's happening around the Mm -hmm. planet, Mm -hmm. it's on fire, Mm -hmm. and there's a pandemic sweeping through Mm -hmm. every country Mm -hmm. and continent. Mm -hmm. If we don't wake up, And I believe those ancient teachings are within, you know, the languages of people lost and forgotten. I believe those ancient teachings are are teachings that are spiritual teachings that all indigenous people across the globe, long before, you know, uh, colonialism came into the, the forefront, where we were balanced with the natural world, is where we need to head in order for this entire human race, the inheritance of this entire planet, which is, my belief is, everybody on it, to survive. Mm. I, I, I agree, you know, with many of the interviews that I do here on the show, talking about climate crisis, climate change, and, and some of the things that are going on or that need to happen, uh, 
people that are writing books on how we can, uh, you know, turn a page towards, uh, you know, uh, dealing with the the climate crisis that we find ourselves in. It is exactly from what I understand, and I say this quite often in interviews, is it's going, it is going back to those traditional teachings that indigenous uh, people had for living light on the land and, and living in harmony with the planet. That's really kind of what you're saying to some degrees is where it was, where it needs to go back to if we are going to, like you said, find a way to survive on this planet because of all the things that you, you mentioned. that The world is in this pandemic. Uh, the world is on fire. I mean, look at uh, what's going on with weather. Just uh, It's unprecedented out in the, the northwest right now with temperatures and, and things like that. And not only are the temperatures going up, but you imagine what that's going to do to the earth it's going to dry it out and the the west coast you know has has all this ancient forest and these the you know can ignite fires very quickly and they can burn out of control so we'll have to keep an eye on on what you know if if that happens as well in the next little while because of this weather that's uh, out on the west coast and and what's happening there i agree uh spirit voices are, are are meant to be listened to these unmarked graves that have been uncovered are a reminder of that Mm. I look at it uh, in terms of, uh, of, of in horror and mm. dismay, mm. yet the way that I was brought up was to be uh, always looking for the answers that the universe is providing for us, the mm. obvious ones. Mm. You know, Julian, with your talking about uh, spirit voices and things, I did hear um, uh, an someone in in a news report or in a, somewhere in the last couple of days about um an elder who said maybe now they will listen and it ties right in with what you were just saying he said maybe now they will listen because it, it's the dead that is speaking yeah i agree with that yeah 100 yeah well you know and we may not have heard the the last of this. You know, all these communities and First Nations uh, and and uh, across Canada are starting to do their own research now. Into we're going to see a lot more of this, yeah. and, and you and I both know that. Yep. it's going to get more horrific uh, than uh, most people actually think. Mm-hmm. And it's and it has uh, put a, an international eye on Canada. For sure. It really has, yeah. yeah. Not a good one either. No. <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe that, unfortunately, is a good thing. It is that wake-up call for Canada that has always looked at itself as this this wonderful country, welcoming country for people. Uh, and, and now it's it's got some reckoning to do. And, 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 you know, rightfully so. And let's hope that it does. Uh, because we can all learn from this. We can all move forward. And and if everyone is willing, uh, we can we can go in the right direction to heal this. I agree, um, but it is recognition and education that is so important here, um, and allowing the indigenous community space and time to grieve. Yeah, and you know, take the time to grieve with them. This is everybody has children, and mm-hmm. the reality is when it's when it comes down to children. No matter where what's happened to them, uh, they do feel like family because they are the representation of our future. Mm-hmm. So any parent, mm-hmm. you don't even have to be a parent to recognize that right. and feel that. Yeah, yeah, 
Very true. Uh, Julian, I know you have to get going, but I want to thank you uh, and say Nyao and Jimmy Gwech for coming on to the show, first of all. But I also want to say congratulations to you. You know, you've, you've had a great year musically. We, we talked about that earlier. And uh, you've had some wonderful nominations. You've had great recognition for the, the Ridge. You know, it's so nice to see that for you uh, and what's happening. And now you've been long-listed uh, for the Players Prize. So congratulations, man. That, that's so, so wonderful. <laughs> What? I can't believe it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I guess I should, you know? I guess I should believe it. <laughs> so, listen, we're rooting for you, and, uh, you know, fabulous album. Everybody should uh, check out The Ridge if you haven't done so right now. Uh, some beautiful music there by uh, Julian Taylor. It's a pleasure to have him on the show. Uh, we, of course, uh, share the afternoon drive as the cruise uh, with Julian and myself, And uh, but we don't always get a chance to talk on air together. So, Julian, thanks again, and uh, all the best, man. Thanks, brother. You too. I appreciate chatting with you. You bet. Okay, take care. That's Julian Taylor, afternoon drive cruise host, and uh, also musician extraordinaire, long-listed for the Players Prize. Can you believe it? That's great. Congratulations, Julian. And that is our show for today. I'm your host, David Moses. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth, and we will see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Element.